going through the parables of Jesus. And we really, we're, we're getting near the end. We are in what we call Passion Week when we come to our parable today. It's in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32. We'll read that here in just a second. And this parable has an interesting context. And we've been talking about how these parables, you really have to look at what's going on around them to get some of the layers. You might get superficial lessons from them that are quick and easy. And this is one of those. But there are some deeper things that are going on that we'll look at here in just a minute as we look at the context. But the way we've been kind of approaching this is first, we just read the parable and get the story. And then we'll go back and catch. Now, why did Jesus say this so that we can better understand What was Jesus saying uh, when he said it? So let's start. Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to start in uh, verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. And then a nuclear bomb went off, right? No, that's not what it says, but that's what some of your parents would have done, right? No, I will not. Oh, smoke and hole. That's all that was left of him. That's what he said. But he later changed his mind and went. This is key. He changed his mind and went. Verse 30. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Not the most complicated of parables, is it? Uh, I've said that some of these I really love because you you read that and you go, well, I think I got it. You know, I can answer that question. Yes, I got it. Which one of those did what the father wanted? Well, there's only one of them did anything. So that's that kind of narrows it down for you. There's no chart, by the way, on the slide for this part, because this is this is rather basic, but it's easy. And the guy got it. So Jesus is talking to these people who have been criticizing him and questioning his authority, as we'll see here in just a second. But. The question that he asks him is quite simple. He tells a simple story. He got two sons. One just says no, flat out says no. But then he actually he obeys. You say, OK, well, that was kind of annoying, but good job. And then you had the other guy who is like a lot of people. Yeah, 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 I'll do that. And what? <laughs> no, you version this morning. And you, you don't. And then what? You didn't you didn't do it. You just didn't do it. And we can relate to being both of these people, can't we? Deep down, we know we've been both of these people. But Jesus' question to this man was, but which one of them pleased the Lord? I mean, that's really what he's getting at. That's the easy interpretation. Which one of them pleased the Lord? The one who did what he wanted him to do. Even though he was hesitant at first, even though he said no at first, he still went and did it. A preacher I know who's already gone to be with the Lord used to say that men always say no first. That's that's the job of the father. Dad says no. And then maybe you'll still get to do it. He'll come around. But his first job is no, 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 no. And you can tell I practice. Right. And, And that's what we do. And too often it is. And we can get into a habit of just saying no, 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 no. And of course, there's a problem with that. Sometimes you're going to say no to the things you should have done. And you won't go back and fix it. And sometimes you just sound like a curmudgeon because you just say no all the time. Now, we know that it's just as the two extremes are equally unhealthy. This is the light and easy interpretation of the parable. The two extremes are unhealthy. If you always say no, you will say no to the right thing. You will not have done what the Lord wants you to do because you kept saying no. 
Now, the unhealthy extreme at the other end is that you always say yes. And you can say yes to things that are either unhealthy or that may be healthy on their own, but not with the 976 other things you also said yes to for that morning. Right? And that's equally unhealthy. We don't know why this son, Jesus gives us no story to that. It's just a parable, uh, so it's not like we have to figure it out. But we don't know why the guy said yes and then didn't do it. Was he lazy? Don't know. Was he forgetful? Don't know. If it was in the book of James, yes, he was forgetful. That would be it. Uh, is it rebellion? Don't know. Some people's rebellion is not immediate. Some people are immediately rebellious. No, I will not. Some people are slow cooker rebellious. Yes, I will. You know, honey, I told him yesterday that I was going to do this. And I don't think I am. You know, it, it took 24 hours. But you're still there. You're still at no. We don't know what his was. And maybe we don't know what his was because, one, when we go deeper, it will reveal itself in the context. But also because maybe all of our reasons for saying no when it's the right thing to do or the right thing to be or the right attitude to have are wrong no's. No matter when we came to him, if we stuck to him, we were in the wrong. Maybe he didn't get specific because he doesn't want us to weasel our way out like some lawyer ball game. Well, he, he that guy in the parable, that was one thing. But, you know, my no was something else entirely. My no was, you know, da 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 And so then we feel like we're still, you know, self-righteous and don't have to worry about whether or not that was the right no or wrong no. So there are all those things that we kind of get ourselves twisted in and messed up by. But what's he really talking about? Well, there's a lot of context to this one. It's really kind of a, a, a deep, deep context. I mentioned that it's in Passion Week. What has just happened is that he is wrapping up his ministry. So when you read the Gospels, almost everything he taught, almost every before the cross, almost every miracle that happened before the resurrection has already happened. And that's important because we need to know when we get to what he's telling this story for, that they had had ample opportunity to examine the evidence as to whether or not Jesus was an authoritative Messiah from God, the Son of God. Because that's what they're wrestling with. That's what he wants them to wake up to. That's what they're saying no to. And they've had more than enough evidence. According to Old Testament standards under the law of Moses, if you have two to three eyewitnesses, a fact is established. You got two or three people that say, yeah, I saw him run over that cat. Then you know he ran over that cat. And so then whatever the punishment was for running over your neighbor's cat, that's what you got. But there had to be witnesses. By now, you have not hundreds. You have thousands of witnesses to the power of Christ. Thousands just in one meal. And he did that twice. Feeding of the 5,000 men, plus their wives, plus their kids, plus their mothers-in-law and their grandmas. All those people, thousands and thousands, were fed by that little boy's meal. They knew what he could do. They knew by whose authority he did what he did. There was plenty of evidence. That was one day. That was one meal. He'd been doing these things for three years. Plus, he had the testimony of John the Baptist at his very beginning as to who he was and why he was there and what he was up to and whose authority he spoke by. They'd had it all. So all of that's happened. Not only has that happened, but 
Thousands of people have seen that stuff and said, we believe. We've heard what you said. We've seen what you've done. And we, we've never seen anything like this. They were asking the question all the time. Who is this man? Who is this man that forgives sins? As the man had been lowered down through the roof and was no longer a paralytic. But Jesus says to him first, your sins are forgiven. And they say, who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? Well, Jesus showed them by calling on the man to walk. Evidence. They'd seen all of that. They'd heard all of that. And thousands of people had said, he's the king. That's why it was a triumphal entry. Because people were starting to see who he was and what hope he brought and what he promised. And so they're sitting there saying, Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. Because they understand he is the Lord who will save. They little mixed up on saving from what and to what. But that's a whole other lesson. But they knew who he was. They knew why, why he was there. And they knew his authority and his power. And that he was the son of God. That's why they gave him this big procession. It's why he came in on the colt of a donkey. That's a king's ride. I guess nowadays he would have been standing in the back of a convertible with a couple of little Jesus flags on the front. You know, if you wanted to show who he was. This is, this is what that meant. He is the king. That's the problem they have with it. They don't like that this is the guy that God is testifying to as the king, that John the Baptist is testifying to as the king, that the miracles testify to as the king. They're not happy with that. So he goes into the temple. This has already happened. He goes into the temple and drives them out again. Says this was meant to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Showing his authority as the son of God to clean house. The parable we looked at last week was all about him saying the son is going to come in judgment. And it wasn't at the end of time. It wasn't even at the end of the week. It was like open up. This is old fashioned. Open up your day timer or open up your little eye calendar, your Google, Google calendar. And oh, what do I have for this week? Cleanse the temple. It was that soon. And he walks in and he does it. And that ticked them off. Okay. Absolutely made them mad. And that brings us to the context. So let's look at this right quick. Uh, when you go back up, this is the problem. See, your, your Bible probably has like my Bible has, which is headings. And so the parable of the two sons is right there. It's a little chunk of red letters all by itself. But it's not by itself. Right before, go to verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? What has he been doing? Cleansing the temple. A triumphal entry. He's just cursed a fig tree, miraculously killed it right there because it pretended to bear a fruit that it did not bear. That's all the context. And these guys go, now listen, you don't come into our town and you don't come into our temple, which is all wrong. All those pronouns are wrong. It's the Lord's temple and it was the Lord's town. But you don't come into our town and you don't come into our temple and you don't come in here and flipping our tables and, and slapping that whip at our people and tipping over our money. Who do you think you are and by whose authority do you think that you can do this? And I guarantee you that was the tone they used, if not meaner. Who do you think you are? You know, some questions people would ask Jesus and, and I think it shows the humor in the Bible. It's not a humorous moment, but... 
if you were transported back in time or if we get to, you know, if there's like a heavenly Blu-ray or Netflix library sort of a thing and we get to go in there and watch this stuff, aren't you going to replay that a time or two just to catch faces? Because, well, who does he think he is? And they know it's why they're angry, but they ask anyway. And this is what happens. Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now, these are hot shots. They think, we got him. These are people who think they always know the answer to every question. I don't know was not in their vocabulary. I don't know is one of the best sentences in our vocabulary. Use it, love it, sprinkle it often. They didn't know it. So... These people who have laid trap after trap after trap and will continue to do so over the next few days, they're about to walk into one. He says, I'll tell you the answer. But first answer my question. And this is what he asked them. John's baptism, which must have put him for a loop for a little bit. Say what now? John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? It's a genius question. Absolutely genius. And they know it the second he he breathes it. Because they go, "Uh uh-oh. And that's the part I want to see. Uh-oh. They know they're trapped. Because if they say, well, John the Baptist, that that was from God. He was a prophet of God. And and, and obviously that came from God. Because that's what the people certainly believed. The people were going out to hear him speak. They were going out to be baptized by him. When he testified to who Jesus was, they said that Jesus must be that. Because they believed what John the Baptist had said, as they should have. God had sent him. But they say, if we admit that, he's going to have more questions. They are what I like to say about myself a lot of times. They may be dumb, but they're not stupid. I, I, I love saying that anymore. I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. Well, them too. They're dumb enough to have walked into it, but they're not stupid enough. They don't understand what they've walked into. I've had that experience a lot. You ever, you ever had that experience? I grew up. We had cattle. I've had that experience. It just happens. It just happens. So what do they do? They say, well, you know, what are we going to do? We, 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 you know, if we say John, he's going to say, well, then why didn't you listen? If we say, if it's from man, or from God, why didn't you listen? If it's from man, then they're going to say, well, nobody here believes that. (laughs) That's going to be a problem. Nobody believes he was just a man. And we're going to be trapped. And we're going to get blowback. And they didn't want the blowback. It's kind of funny that people who live their lives intimidating don't want to be intimidated by the people they intimidate. That sounds familiar. I'm not going to say, you know, applications, but, you know, that happens a lot. Um, It's one of the ways that you keep tyranny from happening. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, well, then why didn't you believe him? If we say human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus. Oh, man, do you think it was like Fonzie trying to say, I'm sorry? I know that ages me a little bit. Some of the younger won't know what that is. He had a lot of trouble saying he was sorry. Maybe some of y'all do too. I don't know. But he would say, I... He just couldn't get the words out. Sometimes it was like three minutes, full minutes of an episode. Him trying to go... Just couldn't say that he was sorry. 
that must have been hard, you know, to, to twist your saying. It's hard being a Pharisee, <laughs> you know, a chief priest. It's just a hard enough life. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. But they finally got the words out because they just didn't know what else to do. And it had to hurt. We don't know. We don't know. Jesus keeps his word. Well, neither will I tell you then by what authority I'm doing these things. I bet you could hear a pin drop. Then you heard some stomping off and some huffing and puffing. They were, they were good at that. It's not a spiritual gift. And then he asks a question. What do you think? There's a guy with two sons. Context sure makes a difference, doesn't it? There's a guy with two sons. And one of his sons said immediately, no, I'm not going to do it. He was rebellious. He didn't follow his dad's ways. He, he messed up. But then eventually he came back around and he actually did what his father had asked him to do, told him to do. There are people like that. They, they rebel a long time. They push God off for a long time. Jesus, I don't need that for a long time. But somewhere, for some reason, by the work of the Spirit and the Word and circumstances of life, God brings their heart around and they say, you know what? I'm going to follow. And they do. And God says, I'm pleased with them. That's the moral of the parable. I'm pleased with them. I understand they rebelled at first, but they didn't rebel forever. And I'm pleased with them. And that may be some of you. You may have had those times in your life where you kept telling God, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. I'm tired of it. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm, I'm not anymore. Some of you may be right there right now. I am not doing this. And yet, you need to know. You come back around. God is pleased with you. God loves you. And he welcomes you home. It's like the prodigal son parable. He's ready for that. But there's two sons. This other son was a good church-going kid, wasn't he? You know he was. You know he was. You know how you know he was? Because it's who he's talking to. The other son is the chief priest, the high priest, the elders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all these people who are rebelling against him. That's the son. See, they, they went to temple and they worshiped God and they were so intent to make sure that they followed everything they were supposed to follow to the letter of the law. Maybe some of them with really great intentions. But in the end, they kept missing all those things that Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said. Do not murder, but I tell you, if you hate your brother, you've done the same thing. And then I went, but I never murdered anybody. I was a good church-going guy. I didn't murder anybody. And Jesus' point was, yeah, but I know your heart. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well, I didn't. That lady that we tried to get you to stone did. Yeah, but if you look to a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You're just as guilty. Wow. Good grief. And he kept going down the list in the Sermon on the Mount. These were the same people 
that he wanted to be convicted by that. The good church-going people. Because they professed and they sang and they prayed and they did all of that. But when it came time to actually follow through, they kept saying no. No, no, no. Whether that was loving their neighbor, forgiving someone who had hurt them. That's a tough one. I get it. I get it. And I, I've known people say, I am, I am not forgiving that person. Pray you come around. It'll please God if you do. Stay in rebellion and, you, and, and it can't. It just can't. He's pleased by repentance. We would find if we followed through, we would be too. I think that's the saddest thing about these guys' story is what they missed out on. Let's look at this. Just do the, the little diagrammy things. Just because, you know, circles. Got to like circles, you know. Draws people in. Words and actions. This is the easiest one. Words and actions. Where are words? I am a Christian. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I say those things. I sing those things. I pray those things. I teach those things. But if it doesn't come out in, but did you listen? Did you do? Because how do you prove that you actually listened. You do. We'll get there. Do your actions actually overlap your words? Wherever those two things overlap, and we're not perfect, that's why it's a Venn diagram. I realize it should just all be one big circle. But we're humans, right? Humans always have stuff hanging out the other side of that diagram. It's just what we do. We're messed up. We're not perfect. Okay. But where we are living what we believe... And where we are doing what we said we would do, that's what it means to be a true believer in Christ. This is what he wanted them to get. You say you believe in God. Well, God sent John the Baptist. He called you to repentance. He called you to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you haven't done it. Why is that? By the way, there is a time where he actually asked them that question right out there. Blunt. Then why haven't you done it? And it was one of those moments. Because if you confess something, you have to live it. It's just the way it works, right? Outside of that, those hanging out parts, that's where our hypocrisy still is. Or, because hypocrisy means you're purposefully trying to deceive people into believing you're something you're not. Or, it's where we still need to grow. It's not nearly so bad, is it? It may just be where we still need to grow. And we're human, so we, we got that. We'll die with some of that. That's why grace, thank the Lord, praise God, right? But the true belief still has to happen. If, if we are just pretending, oh, well, you know, there's grace, so I don't need to do anything, it's all overlap. There's no true belief. Those two bubbles just completely separate. Nothing together at all. It's another way that we can accidentally be like these guys. So he challenges them, as I just said, well, if you hurt him... Why didn't you do it? Because if you had done it, then I would believe that you believe. But since you didn't do it, what do I know? Not a believer. Not a believer. You have all these other people and you have Peter and James and John. They're there witnessing this conversation. What had they done? At once, they left their nets and they followed him. When they saw what he could do, when they heard what he taught, when they understood, because they were there, some of those people had actually been there when John the Baptist testified, because they had been his disciples before that. 
When they saw the evidence, they said, I will follow you. They made the confession. But you know what else they did? For three years, they had been following him. For the rest of their lives, save one, they would be following him. Their life and their words met up. Were they perfect? Nah. Mm -mm. That's why they taught about grace too. Why does Peter talk about grace? Why does he talk about how wonderful it is? Because Peter knows it. He had the hanging out parts too. It was all there. But he put his life where his brag was. and said, well, if I say I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow. That was why Jesus went back to him after his denial and said, Peter, Simon at that point, Simon, do you still, you still love me? He says, Lord, you know that I do. And what does Jesus say next? Then feed my sheep. Why does he say that? Actions speak louder than words. Then do it. If you love me, then live a life of love. Live a life of faith. Live a life of obedience. Do what you say you believe. That's what it means to be a true believer. And this is what he wants these men to get. He's not saying this just to shame them. He wants them to come to repentance. He wants them to see it's not too late. You could be the one who said no, but is going to say yes. You don't have to stay in your rebellion. You don't have to. It's not necessary and it's not best. But that was their mistake. They had just over and over again claimed, I believe, I believe. And then every time Jesus showed them, if you believe, then this is how life has to change. Oh, I'm not doing that. To the point that they get arrogant to Jesus. Where do you even get your authority from anyway? We ask that. We ask that if our, our spouse brings something up that we need to change, we might say, well, in our heads, I mean, you're still alive, so you might not have said it out loud. <laughs> well, who do you think you are? You know, as a teenager, we think we can do that sort of thing. That's that's probably how you know how old the kid in the in the in the parable was. No, I will not. You know, you only say that so many times. There's only so many chances. Everybody tries it. No one succeeds. And then you learn. Which this guy in the parable, Jesus says, you know, this kid did. But if you're going to claim to live by faith, what are you going to do? Jesus, I accept that you are the Lord of my life. Wherever you call me to go, I will go. Whatever you call me to do, I will do, and you follow through. If you find that you mess up, you get back up and you do the next best thing. But you don't quit. And you don't make it just about being seen or just about people thinking you're something. That was their problem. They wanted the position of being religious leaders without the life of an actual believer. And we can lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that we believe something we don't because we, we can hold traditions. But the truth is, true belief is not about maintaining a tradition. True belief, not that a tradition is a problem, but true belief is so much deeper. It is God, wherever you lead me, whatever you want me to do, I will do. 
and I will do. And even if sometimes you rebel at first, don't think that God has given up on you because you said no for a while. I think that's important to get. Grace covers your past no's. It does. And so instead, you pick up right where you are. God, I'll follow you from here. Peter learned that lesson. We learned that lesson. He doesn't tell the story to condemn. He tells the story to rescue lives back into the will of God and the kingdom of God and to call us back into living the rhythm and the aim and the purpose and the mission of God. So if you've said no before, you don't have to say no today. You can say yes to Jesus today. And He will love you like you said it yesterday. He will love you as deeply as if you'd never said anything else before. Because that was His purpose to begin with. So say yes. And then do yes. Live the yes. Be a follower. Put your life in His hands. Trust Him where He leads you. And do what He calls you to do. Love the people He puts in your life, whether they seem all that lovable or not. That's really unimportant. They are people made in God's image that God put there for you to love. It's tough, I know. Some, sometimes, you know, it can be hard. But even this kid came back around and said, okay, I'll do it. Just do it. If you need to put your life in God's hands, He calls you to do that today. He wants it to be a life of actual living, of actually loving those that He sends you and loving Him and putting your life in His hands. If you want to submit to His leadership, if you want to know His grace, if you want to have your sins washed away, we have all of that here because God has blessed us richly with the time we had this morning to be able to come together and witness that if you need to do that. If you need us to pray for you, we'll pray for you. You can go to the back. One of our elders, uh, two of them are back there. One of them will be glad to pray with you if you need to pray in private or we'll pray with you as a church family. But whatever you do, don't say no. And if you say no this morning, by this afternoon, come back around. Jesus is still waiting for you. Let's stand and sing.